Now we're good. There we go. Good morning again. So glad to have y'all today. I, I just got to say, first of all, a couple things. Man, Corbin, thank you for that prayer. Man, that was... Take note, adults. You want to learn how to pray? There it is, right? It's good to be together, isn't it? And uh, let us not forget that that is not lost on our kids. It's not lost on what we're doing. When you sing, when you're here, our pre your presence makes a difference. Makes a difference. That's why I love this church. You know, I say that a lot. I do love this church. It's not just preacher talk. If I didn't love this church, I wouldn't say it. So, <laughs> but I do. I love so many things about this church. I love that our children are up here. I love that we have babies galore. I love that there's noise in this place. I love that we just had two babies on cue right there. I love that we had two babies born this last week. It's still a secret. If it's a boy or a girl with the Cox baby, we don't know. I texted, I texted Grandpa uh, Casey just a second. He goes, he goes, I don't know. They haven't let me in there. So uh, he doesn't know, but we're so excited about that. We're excited we have two more babies on the way uh, with the Stevenson and the other Watts baby. And so just so good, so many good things. I love that this church is going out to serve today and paint a house at three o'clock. I love that we have an elder who leads singing who's also in a rock and roll band. I just love this church. I love it. I love that we have spoken word in communion. And, and while Adam can't keep up with the rhythm of that, he's not afraid to do it. Because I couldn't do it either, Adam. Man, what a message for us, though. What a message. Thank you, guys. And I love that this church is open to the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful for that more than anything. And may the Spirit lead us today. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Get on the app. All the verses and things are on there or in the bulletin and follow along as we continue into the book of Ephesians, our aha letter, this revealing letter. So it was in 1959, Milton Rokich did something unprecedented in his field. He was already a famous a psychologist, but Rokich went to work on three men who had been deemed incurable because they were all three delusional. Each man were from different parts of the country, different ages, different backgrounds. One was a college dropout, another was an old elderly in the last part of his life farmer, and the third man was a failed writer. But what they held in common is what piqued Dr. Rokich's interest. All three of them believed that they were the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so Rokich had this idea. He believed that no matter what intervention had taken place in the past, that these three men scattered across the country, if he could bring them together to his practice in Ypsilanti, Michigan, he could cure them. He believed if he got them in the same room together, they would all realize the impossibility of their claims, that they could not possibly be Jesus, the Messiah. He thought that if they could hear each other, they would finally realize that if one of the other people was the Messiah, they could not be, or the reverse, that if they were the Messiah, the other two could not be. He did research with these three men for quite a while, months and months. 
His research and his treatment led to some discoveries in psychology, but unfortunately, it did not cure or snap any of these men back to reality. None of them had an actual revelation or an aha moment. Instead, all they did was continue to argue with each other that they were the Messiah and the others were not. Now, I bring that up because at some point, all of us need a reality check, don't we? A snap back to what is true. Reality is just what is true. A lie is what is unreality or not true. And all of us at some point in our life need to have a reality check, a time in our life where we experience a snap back to what is really happening. We all can experience these from time to time. It might be scripture that snaps us to reality about the sins in our life. It might be a great talk or honesty that we have with our spouse or a friend. It might even be that we just see life again and we see how small we really are and we snap back to reality. They can be difficult, but reality checks, I believe, are good and they're needed from time to time. And so a good way to think about Paul's letter that we're exploring for the next few weeks and have been now for three weeks is he's trying to get the Christians in Ephesus in the surrounding areas to snap in, to have a reality check, to have what we've called an aha. His word for that have been to have a revelation an apocalypse. Not a foretelling of some scary events in the future, but he uses the word biblically as we should as a drawing back of the curtain. A reality has has been seen. We now know what life is actually about. That's what his hope is. In his apocalypse, what he wants us to get us to see is we went ahead and flipped our Venn diagram on its side. He is wanting us to see that between this age on earth and the age to come in heaven, there is a reality in which Jesus Christ reigns over both. And the followers of Jesus live in this reality where we belong to a different kingdom, a different world. And even though we're living in the not yet and hope for what is to come, we as Christians can now live in the already, but not yet, of right here. And we can experience the truth of the revelation. And Paul's revelation is this. Heaven and earth are distinct realities, but not separate realities. And that is the reality check Paul is trying to get us to see, that we live in and through and for and under King Jesus. And he is our ruler far above all name and rule and power in this age and the age to come. I think we all know this. And what I mean is I think we all know that there is realities beyond what we can see and touch and hear and smell and taste. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't believe in that reality, right? There is a reality beyond the realities that we can just observe. Even science says this. Quantum physics talks about multiple dimensions well beyond 
what we can see, what we can know in space and time. So there are realities beyond just what we can observe. And that is what Paul is trying to get us to see. Unfortunately, though, where we're going today is we have a little bit of a tension because our world is a little bit like the three Christs of Ypsilanti, Michigan. We live in a delusional world that tells us all we can see is all that there is. And all that you can experience is all that there is. Paul is going to tell us that that is not the truth. And in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, which is another run-on sentence, Paul is going to pray that we will have this aha, this moment of aha to see. And that's what we're gonna unpack today. I've asked Shane Sawyer, Shane, if you'll come on up, to come up as a shepherd of this church and to pray Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Let's stand together as he prays this. Grab a hand of somebody next to you and just pray along in your mind with Shane as he prays this scripture. Dear Lord, we bow before you now just uh, so thankful for your word. for the foundation it gives to our lives, for the direction. We thank you for the book of Ephesians and this study. We thank you that we are your possessions, as it says in verse 14. And we pray this prayer of thanksgiving. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his holy body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And God's church says, amen. Y'all can have a seat. 
Now, we've just heard these words, but I want to read them again. I want them to resonate in us because I want you to really capture Paul's prayer. So here's what Paul says in 15 through 23 as Shane just prayed for us. And hear the heart of Paul. Hear the way he's praying for these people and what I believe is also a prayer for us. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about you, about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he's gonna tell you what he's praying. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. There's that word, spirit of apocalypse, to see what's going on so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, revealed, revelated, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people in the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now that's a prayer. I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but I've heard it said before. What if Paul wrote us a letter? What would he say to the church in Canadian? Or maybe he wrote a general letter just to churches in the Texas and Oklahoma panhandle or in this area, in the Plains area. I don't think we have to wonder what he would say or what he would pray in the prayer. I think we have it. I think we have the exact prayer Paul would say because this is his prayer for the aha to happen. This is Paul's prayer for revelation. So Paul does something I love. And I try to relate it this way. Have you ever had a moment that's so mind-blowing, so amazing that you try to explain it to a friend and once you explain it to your friend... Because they weren't there, they just kind of look at you like, cool story, bro. And they don't get it. And you either have to end the story with, well, you had to be there, or you have to make the story better with like, well, and then I found $5, or something like that, to make it sound good. I can't describe for anybody else what it was like for Allison to walk down the aisle, right? I can't describe for anybody else what it was like two or three years ago, whenever we went, and we turned the corner at Yosemite National and we saw Half Dome for the first time. I can't describe that. That's what Paul is doing. What he's doing is he's trying to pray something that to him is such a reality, such a truth, that he can't get it out. Because when you can't speak it, you write it. And when words can't quite get it, you go to poetry. And when poetry quite can't get it, I think we ask the Holy Spirit for help and we pray. And that's what Paul does for us here. He prays for these things to happen. And I want to just give you briefly this morning three highlights of his prayer. Three highlights that for us should be a charge or a hope or at least something that we can all join him praying 
Paul's prayer in praying for to see things change in and around us. And Paul's first thing he prays for is this, is he prays for followers of Jesus to know Jesus, but to know Jesus that they grow in Jesus. Hear these words again from 16 and 17. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. In other words, he's like, I'm praying for you all the time, remembering you in my prayers. And here's what he says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then this, this is it. So that you may know him better. That's a y'all thing. That y'all may know him better. His first prayer is that an aha, if you have an aha, the aha is knowing is growing. It's that just, not just so you know and have a salvation experience, but that you grow in him. Now, to be honest, this is hard. For a lot of us in this building, not for some, some of us, just coming to know Jesus was a difficult part of your life. But if you grew up in church, coming to know Jesus was the easy part, right? We're pretty good at getting people to make a decision for Jesus, where we often fail as people is after they're baptized and have made a decision for Jesus or come to faith in Jesus, what we often do is leave them alone and leave them stuck. That's why this meme helps a little bit. Salvation, woo! Sanctification, it's hard. That's how we do it as church. Salvation's sometimes easy, I got saved. But Paul's point is not to pray for them just to be saved. These are people who are already saved. His point is to pray that they will continue to grow in their salvation. We call that sanctification, transformation. His prayer is not just to know Jesus, but to grow in Jesus. It's to live in this space, in the already of but not yet of the kingdom of heaven. Use whatever analogy you want. Jesus talked about this as being him being the vine and we're the branches. The Psalms talk about this planting ourselves like a tree besides a living stream. But the expectation of Paul and the hope for his, his prayer in his letter is that they will grow, that they will not be stuck. So here's where this gets challenging. Church, what if we stopped thinking of ourselves as people who profess a set of beliefs and instead began to focus on becoming followers who live in a growing relationship with Jesus in our beliefs? Because there is a large difference between the Christian who only professes beliefs and the Christian who lives out their beliefs in a growing and knowing relationship with Jesus. And what if we did that together? What if we allowed today the Holy Spirit to shake the cobwebs from our brains and the chains from our souls and let him move and honestly ask ourselves, honestly, took a little time and said, what is limiting my growth? What is limiting your growth today? Yes, you know Jesus, but are you growing in Jesus? 
What if we stopped being people thinking that our job is just to get to heaven and instead help other people see heaven because we were growing in this space right now? To know is to grow. This past Monday night, a few of us were gathered to pray. And one of the guys around the table, there was only about six of us there, I think, six or seven. One of the guys at the table just shared openly and honestly about some struggles and questions and temptations that were in his life. What was so powerful about those moments is it, it wasn't that it was new. What was powerful about it is that it was real. The reality around that table and the reality in this room right now is that every one of us are struggling with something. And we go through life and we act like we're not professing beliefs about Jesus but not living them. When the fundamental concern about professing faith in Jesus should be, am I growing in Jesus? Because to live in Jesus is to grow in Jesus. To know Jesus is to grow in him. So after one of my friends shared a little bit, it was incredible. Another person shared, and another. And then our prayer time together was much richer. It was a blessing. There was challenges that came out of it. There was so much wonder and amazement I left with that night. I can't stop thinking about it. It was a testament to the revelation of Jesus. But what we do is we profess beliefs instead of live them. So my question is, what is limiting our growth? What's limiting your growth? Because here's the truth. The truth of the kingdom of Jesus is this is the best truth about this spot right here. Is that to know is to grow. But what I mean by that is the current state of your life doesn't get to determine the meaning of your life. You with me on that? The current state of what you're struggling with or what has you stuck doesn't get the final word. Because to know Jesus is to transform in Jesus. So what is happening in you this morning? I think this first prayer of Paul is a challenge to ask us, is it time for a new aha? Is it time for us to shake off those cobwebs? Is it time to say it's time to grow again? Paul continues in verse 18, this prayer. And he prays that, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's that word again there, apocalypse. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Oh, I can't. I just want to learn to pray like this. What a great prayer. But his second thing is not only that we know and then grow, but I think what Paul's praying for here is he, he wants us to understand the reality. This is a reality check prayer. To live on earth as if heaven is real, he, saw, he, he prays for three things. To have this reality check to realize that there's more going on, and he prays for these three things. First one is he says, I want you to have hope. Hope. The NLT, New Living Translation, says an enduring hope, and I love that translation. That's what, the hope, that's what Christian hope is, is it's a hope that lasts. Peter calls it a living hope. It's not wishful thinking, but a hope that goes beyond the moment. It's a hope that makes it. 
It's a hope that says, whatever God said, his promises will happen. It's as good as done, period. This is the hope that carries us into a new reality. And he says, have that kind of hope. Because it's with that hope you can live as if heaven is now. And then the second thing he prays for is to realize this inheritance in your life. That you're part of this glorious inheritance. The word there actually means a deposit. A guarantee. He's praying that that we will have a realization that what God has put in you cannot be taken away. He's made a deposit in your life. And that deposit is not wealth. It's not money. It is the Holy Spirit. God has given you himself as a guarantee is what to come. Now, guys, I can't, that's beyond words for me. But y'all, y'all with me on that. That's really good stuff. He's saying, if we could realize that we're already living by an inheritance that cannot spoil or fade, you can do anything in the name of Jesus. We no longer have to be feared. We don't have to live by what Adam was speaking about, that, that if I anymore. Because we have an inheritance and now it's if Christ or if the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. This is great news. It's an incredible prayer. May we come alive to that. And then the last one, and I'll say a bit more on this, is he says, I want you to realize the incomparable power. Now I want to say a word on this because power is slippery. It's slippery because power is so abused and that word is so abused. The church has taken the power it's had over and over and co-ops it into other entities. We allow other entities to rule our minds and rule the way we think. So Paul doesn't just say, well, you got a lot of power. He actually qualifies the kind of power that we have. He qualifies it and he says, you have this power that is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And guys, that's a different kind of power, church family. It's not the power of might or the power of persuasion. He doesn't say you have a, a lot of power because you're gonna put you're gonna put Christian politicians up there and they're gonna get your way. He says, No, you have resurrection power. It's not the power of your hands or the power of your own might with your body or your will. Resurrection power, he qualifies it this way because it's the only power Christians really have. Resurrection power is this kind of power. It's the power of God to overcome the work of death in the world. That's resurrection power. It's not the power we think of or the power that's so abused. It's the power that is specific to the way of Jesus It's the the kind of power that Jesus exerted when he willingly died so that death could be defeated. It's the same power that makes weak people strong and it's the same power that we see when we take not the top of the heap or the top of the pyramid and say, do what I say because I have power. But it's the power that comes alive in us when we take the bottom of the pile and we say, serve as I serve. It's the power that changes the world. 
It's resurrection power that is the power to overcome addiction when we say, I've got a problem. It's resurrection power that shows salvation when we say, I can't do life on my own. It's resurrection power when we ring the bell and we say, I want to be poor in spirit. I'm tired of striving. And it's resurrection power when we love, when we're weak, when we go beyond ourselves and give of ourselves to others. That's the aha he wants us to have. And if there's a prayer that the church in America needs, it's this one, because the American church has been lied to because we believe that we are only good if we have all the say. And Jesus says, no, you're good when you have none of the say and you serve people anyway. It's resurrection power. Let me ask you this, when is the church at its best? When's the church at its very best? It's when Corbin leads a prayer, right? It's when children lead the way. It's when we make room for the weak and the lost. It's when a lot of our people give up their Wednesday nights to read in a and work with people who don't speak the same language as them. It's when we give up our afternoon to go paint a house it's when we give up a Saturday. It's when we give up money, even though it feels sacrificial or even because it's sacrificial, because that's when the resurrection shows up and people see light. That's when we're at the best. And Paul flips things upside down and goes, you want power? Have resurrection power in your life. And finally, last couple verses. I want to call to mind this last little thing because, oh my goodness, this is so good. He says this, this power is the same as the mighty strength when he exerted, or the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now hear this, guys. You ever think Jesus isn't in charge, in control? Look how Paul describes Jesus. He says he's been seated in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, Power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Paul's last part of his prayer is a prayer for us to be the church. It's a prayer to do church differently. And you can do church differently because of who is in charge of the church. Well, Jake, you act like you're in charge of the church. No, I don't. Jesus is in charge of the church. This isn't Jake's church. This isn't your church. This is Jesus' church. I'm not in charge of growing it or shrinking it. Jesus is. We are in charge of just showing him. So what's he pray for? Well, a Christian guy was visiting Amish country, maybe in Kansas, maybe in Pennsylvania. Who knows if this story ever happened? But outside a store, he got in a discussion with this Amish man. He was a Christian, and Amish Christianity is a little bit different from him, so they started having a theological discussion. And eventually, the Amish man and this Christian man just turned to kind of the things they could agree on. And the Amish guy and the Christian guy agreed on, well, it's our job just to love God and love others, right? And they got into some stuff, and, and the Amish guy asked him, well, how do, how, do you know, how do people know you're loving God? 
And the Christian man went on to say, well, he's saying, well, I go to church and I give to my church and people see me dressed up on Sundays and I try to pe- pe- treat people nice. And he just got into all these things. And so he kind of gave this explanation. Then the Christian guy turned the Amish man, to the man and he, he asked the Amish man, he says, how do people know you love God? And the Amish man simply said, well, you'll just have to ask my neighbor. You'll just have to ask my neighbor. And that's the final line of actual Paul's prayer here is that the church is the representation of Jesus on earth. That Jesus reigns here, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, in this age, we are representing Jesus to this age. That's the aha he wants us to have. And so I think what we need to do is redefine church. What's interesting about this is Paul doesn't define church in his prayer like we would. He doesn't pray, and God, make sure that you show up at every event and and really bless them in their children's ministry and youth ministry and be at trunk or treat at the end of the month for the Ephesians trunk or treat. He doesn't define church like we do. We define church as an event, something that we either go to or don't, something that often some weeks we can take or leave because we're busy. Often the American version of Christianity is just a slightly different in habits and in practice group of people that's only slightly different than other people, right? He doesn't do that at all. Paul says, here's what the church is. It's the body of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. Now, I'm first to admit, we got 200, 250 people in here today, maybe a little bit more than that. If all of us were to write down on a slip of paper before this sermon, define the church, none of us probably would have said, it's the fullness of Jesus in in every way, (laughs) right? That's crazy. But what he's challenging us to do is change our definition of church. Yes, church includes Events and it includes this worship time, it includes Bible study and small groups and trunk or treats. But church is not events, church is not a time, nor is it a place. Church is the display of Jesus to the world. That's what he says. So may we come alive to this. May we pray this over each other. I would challenge all our small groups to pray this prayer today. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. May we come alive to this. May we grow and be a church that, where we know Jesus, but we're growing in Jesus. And may we understand the hope and the inheritance and the power. Some of you may be going, man, I just want this church to change. I want this church to be different. And so you think you need power to make that happen. You want this church to be different? Serve. That's the way it works. You want things to be different around here? Go teach a Bible class. You want this church to come alive and be on fire for Christ? Go ask your neighbor to be part of something with us. And if we want to be the church that represents Jesus then all of us need to go out from here and display him to the world. 
saying that he is not just our Lord for sometimes, but he is our Lord for all times. And he's not just our Savior so I get to heaven. He's my Savior so that I can show people heaven right now. And that is our call. This requires prayer. It requires me to change some of the things that I define. It requires repentance. But most of all, it requires us to live it. So this morning, do you follow Jesus? Most of us in here do. But is it time to have another aha? Does this church make a difference? Don't ask us. Let's ask our neighbors. If you guys need anything this morning, we're here for you. Let's have some ahas today. May the Holy Spirit come. If you need anything today, we've got three elders that'll be in the back. And of course, we'll be up here to pray over you. Anything else going on in your life? Let's stand together and sing.